real conversations about how we live out our faith every day. Welcome to Connecting Faith. Living out our faith every day, and that happens in family and relationships. That doesn't always happen well, but uh, that's where we really get to work it out. <laughs> and we're talking about it today here on Connecting Faith. I'm Neil Staven, Ted Ross with the Controls, and uh, Ted, today it's... It's ta- we're talking step families, step moms. Yeah, there's uh, a lot of step families. Out there. Do you have a statistic? Well, I was looking that? at you know, forty percent of couples with children are step couples, and one hundred million people in the U.S. have a step relationship of some kind. So it's very likely that you know somebody that yeah. is in a step family situation or has come out of that. And if you are in one, especially if you're a step mom, we've got some encouragement for you today because we have our. Uh, well, I think we can call her our expert. Oh yeah. She herself is one, right? That's right, and she's she's written at least 101 tips. So that's uh, you know that's uh, 101 more than I've written. Yeah, so right. I'm looking forward to talking with uh, Laura Prethorbridge in in just a moment. Uh, I did uh, come across this from we're talking about parenting today and some of those challenges. Came across this from Irma Bombeck. She said, "When my kids become wild and unruly, I use a nice safe playpen." And when they're finished, I climb up. So, <laughs> yeah, anyway, so, that's right. <laughs> we all need our happy place. Sure. Yeah. That's right. All right. Well, hopefully this will be a good, uh, happy uh, conversation and helpful conversation for you. I do want to just say that uh, our phone lines are open. We'll open them up uh, for the uh, the 45 minutes that we have with Laura. So if you have a specific question about the step relationships, we'd love to have you join in. The number is 877-933-2484. It's 877-93-FAITH. Or you can go to our website, myfaithradio.com, and click on the Connecting Faith show page. There's an email link there. You submit your question or comment that way. And by the way, Ted, uh, if they're on the uh, myfaithradio.com website, they should sign up for the Max Licato books. Yeah, time is ticking on this. Uh, The 15th, it's going to be done, and we're giving away three books every single day. So sign up for the, uh, the book on anxiety that he has. Anxious for nothing. Is the yep. uh, which means you don't have to pay for it. Yeah, you can be anxious right. for nothing. That's no. You might have to wait a little bit before you actually get it, though. So that's right. In fact, we are going to hear a little uh, highlight from uh, Max Licato in the third uh, portion of the show here, and so I want to encourage you to stay tuned for that. But the book doesn't actually release until September 12th, but you can win it before you can buy. Yeah, it. just so. don't be anxious if you do win it; it that's doesn't right. come right away. Eight seven seven ninety three Faith is our phone number, or sign up for the book and sign up with a question on MyFaithRadio.com. Let's get to today's conversation. Laura Petherbridge serves couples and single adults with topics on spiritual growth, relationships, step-families, co-parenting, single-parenting, divorce prevention, and divorce recovery. International speaker and author, written uh, several books, including the one we'll reference today, 101 Tips for the Smart Stepmom, Expert Advice from One Stepmom to Another, She's also written uh, devotional, Quiet Moments for the Stepmom Soul, which is a devotional and is uh, co-written with uh, Ron Deal, a book about the smart stepmom with uh, Ron Deal. So we're just honored to have her with us today. She's been married to her husband, Steve, for 30-plus uh, years, got a couple of kids and uh, grandkids. And Laura, it's good to have you back on Connecting Faith. Thank you so much. It's great to be with you. Let's uh, start with the the question that you address uh, in the book 101 Tips for the Smart Step Mom. Why is it so complicated? <laughs> and maybe has that well, has that changed since you wrote the book? Is it still complicated? Yeah, unfortunately, I wish I could give you a different answer to that, but <laughs> but it is still complicated and and most people are just pretty shocked by how complicated it is. That's that's often why I start with that because before you get married, you really think 
you know, we're just bringing these two sets of pe- families and people together. We're, our issues are going to blend. Our kids will blend. They'll get along with each other or they'll get along with my parents. And, you know, we really, our, our intentions are so right and our heart is so right in this. The problem is there's so many factors we didn't know. It was one of those, you know, we didn't know what we didn't know thing. And, and that's partly why I write the books that I do, to just to help people learn what they didn't already understand about building a step family. So it is complicated. And the reason that it's complicated is because all step families are birthed out of loss. Now, a lot of people get mad at me when I say that because they think I'm saying their step family isn't founded on love. That's not what I'm saying. I am saying that a death or a divorce or the breakup of a relationship had to have occurred to create a step family. There is no step family that has formed without those things as a precursor. So you have a lot of emotion that goes into a second relation or a remarriage that you didn't have in a first-time relationship. The death or divorce or the breakup of a relationship caused a step family to form. And so that's what I mean when I say that, and that's why it's complicated. Is it significantly different if it is a death or uh, compared to a divorce, I mean, that uh, that birth of a step family, does it bring a whole unique set of challenges or are they both very similar? Most people assume that it's going to be worse if it's a divorce. And I get so many couples that I that I do coaching with, life coaching, that their spouse died. Either one or both spouses have died. And they are absolutely astounded because they assumed, because all the fighting of the divorce and the money issues and the visitation and the co-parenting, there isn't any of that when there's a death. So they assume that the new family is going to form much more easily. But that is rarely the case because there is this grief, this loss this, you are not my mother, you are not my father, I don't like you taking the place of my father. It feels disrespectful to them. And even if it's a young child or an adult child, if the spouse has died, there's a lot of emotions. And and sometimes the kid didn't even know they had those emotions until the parent got remarried. So now that doesn't mean there aren't more complexities with divorce on the aspect of co-parenting, and financial issues, and the child being torn between two homes. That, of course, brings complexities and brings uh, anxiety. And anytime you're coping with two homes, that brings an aspect or a level of confusion and grief that isn't there in the death. But I will tell you that Christians in particular are shocked and how complicated it is when a parent has died. And so, uh, yes, that is, it is more complicated with a divorce, but not nearly as much as you would think. Mm. And, and I know you write from the stepmom perspective, but is there a, a whole uh, area of challenges for stepdads, or is this really a, a unique challenge, particularly for stepmoms? Well, I not only write as a stepmom myself, 32 years as a stepmom, but I had two stepmoms growing up. 
So I've been the child in that step family scenario also. And it's quite interesting because children typically accept a stepdad much more easily than they do a stepmom. Now, that doesn't mean they don't struggle at all with a stepdad. There are still, you know, you aren't my father, you can't tell me what to do. You know, there are still issues between a stepdad and a stepchild. But by far, children embrace a stepdad in the home, especially if he's a good stepdad and doesn't come in and try to be a heavy disciplinarian right away. And if he doesn't come in and try to, like, rule the roost, you know, those scenarios can cause for a lot of um, problems, especially with a stepson. But a a child in general will view a stepdad as less of a threat to their home than they do a stepmom. We, uh, we often talk about, you know, use the phrase new normal. Um, this is a certainly a new normal. Uh, what does it look like? Are there some things that, you know, if we haven't even thought through this before that say this is going to be the new normal and, and you have to get used to it. Yes, this is in particularly true if you already have biological children and you've parented them or you've raised them in one way or your traditions or your boundaries are one way and then you become a step parent and those guidelines and traditions and boundaries are different. So you're now bringing in children into either your own kids or your spouse's children are coming into a home where the expectations of how to parent are often radically different. And they not only will be radically different between husband and wife in the same home, but your parenting style may be very different from the other parent's home. In the case of a, of a stepmom, her view of parenting and the biological mom's view of parenting may be two very, very different formats of how to do this. So you not only deal with the, the complexities of a, of a husband and wife deciding what is the best way to parent, but now you're adding another factor of the other home. And so this is why everybody, the best case scenario is for everybody to communicate, but in particular for the husband and wife to lay down how they're going to do this before they even walk down the aisle. Because it usually doesn't change, and it often gets more complicated after the wedding. We're going to try to uncomplicate some of the complications today with Laura Petherbridge. Uh, Laura is an international speaker and author. She's a life coach. She works with couples and singles adults and topics of step co-parenting, step families, single parenting, divorce prevention, recovery, and just in general spiritual growth and relationships. Would love to have you join the conversation because if you are one of many that are in a step family relationship and have some questions, maybe it's about parenting styles or it's just about you know getting on the same page with your husband or it's something about navigating holidays and if you want to remain anonymous you're certainly welcome to do that you can give us a call at 877-933-2484 877-93-FAITH or if you'd rather just submit a question or a comment online go to myfaithradio.com and click on the connecting face show page and use the email link there we'll talk more with laura petherbridge in just a moment she's written among her books 101 tips for the smart stepmom expert advice from one stepmom to another your opportunity to get expert advice coming up. No, 
you're in a blended family, you know, there are challenges in making it blend. Uh, challenges in parenting anyway, and particularly if you are the stepmom. And we're getting uh, today tips for the smart stepmom, expert advice from one stepmom to another with Laura Petherbridge. Laura has uh, written uh, several books. She speaks and writes in this topic related to uh, step family and step parenting. Uh, the smart stepmom that she uh, wrote with uh, Ron Deal. She's also written uh, the book we're referencing, 101 Tips for the Smart Stepmom. She's also written The Quiet Moments for the Stepmom Soul, a devotional. And if you have a moment, we'd love to have you join the conversation so that you get your questions answered. And you can be anonymous if you prefer. If there are some, uh, some issues with the, the family and you'd like to just get some wise advice from one who's been down that road, you can call us at 877-933-2484, 877-93-FAITH. Laura, I know you have a chance to, to write and speak. In fact, uh, the smartstepmom.com is the website. When you uh, interact with listeners uh, at conferences or uh, on uh, on email, wh- what is the number one question that often comes your way? Well, unfortunately, a lot of people wait until they're in crisis hmm. to come to an event for step families. Uh, I think that is because there still is some shame associated with it. And we don't really like to call ourselves a step family. We we think that that somehow sounds like it's a secondary thing, or that's why we've come up with phrases like blended families and things like that that do do make it a little easier, a little bit more palatable. So part of that is overcoming this sense of mm, for a second family, does that mean we're not as important or we're not as valid or and sometimes their their assessment is accurate because you don't see very many churches who offer step family programs or step family classes uh, their issues are radically different than first-time marriages so all of that can communicate to the step family you're not really important or maybe we don't really want to talk about this topic so I think probably the number one thing that, first of all, the number one thing we've talked about is why is it so complicated, That just wrapping their brain around that piece. The second thing is I went into this with such good intent. Why isn't it working? Why? Uh, my heart is right. I really want to love these kids. I really want to make this marriage work. I don't ever want to get divorced again or go through a crisis like this again. Why? Why is it so that I can't I can't move forward? And uh so that's probably one of the things they ask. And the reason is a lot of what we've mentioned already, there's so many moving parts. There's so many more people involved. Ron always says, you don't have a family tree in a step family. You have a family forest. (laughs) (laughs) And so, you know, when you go to do your family tree, there's just so many more pictures to hang on on the branches. And the more people you add, the more complicated. And you're dealing with X spouses you're dealing with former spouses the mother or father of this child lives in another home and they may not like you they may not like it that their spouse got remarried and so you just have pieces to this that you don't have in a first-time marriage that need to be addressed tackled and overcome in order for the step family to be victorious I'm thinking there's probably a, a lot of stepmoms that don't have their own biological children, and so they move into a step 
parenting situation, that, uh, that sounds like maybe a unique challenge as well. It sure is. And and I was one of those women. I did not have biological children. I had been divorced. My first husband left the marriage, had an affair and left the marriage, but I didn't have children. And so I came in as a, a woman who did not have bring biological children. And I just naively thought, you know what, I'm just going to love on his kids. I won't try to be a mom to them. I know they already have a mom. I've had two stepmoms. I know what not to do. And so I just was very surprised that they resisted me so much because I didn't think I was invading their space. (laughs) So you are absolutely correct. The woman who doesn't bring any biological children, and I wrote a whole chapter on this because there are so many childless stepmoms, either childless by choice or childless because they can't have children, and uh, that you really are expecting these children to fill a place in your life that hasn't already been filled with kids. And if the children either don't want you to be in that place, they, they don't want to be filling that spot in your life, or they feel it will be disloyal to their mother if they view you like that, if they allow you to come into their life in that way, uh, it can leave that childless stepmom feeling very lonely and very like, oh, my gosh, I thought these were going to be my kids, and they aren't. So now I have no kids. Uh, and for a woman, that can be a very barren place to be. So so that is a real pain that you're bringing up there, Neil, and uh, a lot of women. There's a lot more childless stepmoms than I realized, mm-hmm. and that's why I included a whole chapter for them. Well, do we – is this a matter of, of lowering expectations kind of all the way around, which sounds like we're sort of – we're giving up. Like, you know, do we – is that okay to say, you know, this, this isn't going to be uh, smooth and pretty and, and I'm not going to have – the loving relationship that I hoped I would have it can, or should we, is there are some things we should just work on that we can make this work. What I realized is, is that being a stepmom has been, has taught me more to live like Christ than any other role I have in my life. And I say that unequivocally. Um, You know, yes, it's hard to be a sister sometimes. It's hard to be a daughter. You know, I have an aging mom right now. So all all of those different things grow us, stretch us, teach us more patience, character, all of that. But I have to tell you that being a stepmom has made me more like Christ than anything else I've ever done because I am called to love without ever knowing if I'm going to get that in return. And so it, it, what it has done is it has taught me how to go to God and say, I need to do this. I need to reach out. I need to keep building a bridge. I need to serve and love just because you call me to, knowing I may not get that back in return. It doesn't mean you you roll up and become a doormat and let people beat up on you and treat you like dirt. That's not what I'm saying. You don't become an enabler or a people pleaser. But I have had to say, you know what? I am going to love as Christ calls me to, even if there's no reward to it. I'm doing it for my God. I'm doing it for my husband. I'm doing it for the vow I made. And God is going to teach me 
because on my own strength, I cannot do this. I just want to yell and scream and slap them in the head. <laughs> um, I am God is going to have to teach me how to love unconditionally because I don't know how to do that on my own. And so I do have a great relationship with my stepsons now and my grandkids, my step-grandkids. But in the beginning, I had to do this just because God was calling me to and for no other reason. Because at times it looked like there wasn't another reason. (laughs) But it brought peace and it brought joy. And I knew then that doing it for God would would bring me what I was seeking, even if it wasn't the way I thought I was going to get that need met. And so um, it just takes time. Step families take time. People don't like hearing that. It takes so much longer than you think it's going to in many cases. And so here I am, 32 years in, and our most recent move was so that we could move closer to my stepson. Well, who would have ever thought that in the beginning? But now I have grandkids, and see, they only know me as Nana. Because I stayed the course and did what God called me to do, my stepkids now have uh, grandchildren, and they know me as Nana. I'm not step-Nana. I've been in their life since they were born. And so that is the perk that came out of me staying the course. And we only got just a few seconds before we need to take a break, but I'm thinking maybe after the break we come back and talk about just giving giving ourselves grace. Uh, obviously, we need to give grace to our uh, members of our, our step family, but maybe ourselves as well, right? To uh, to know that yeah. it is hard and it is going to take time and and to stay the course. We'll find out more. As we talk to Laura Petherbridge, you can find out more about her uh, on the website, thesmartstepmom.com, thesmartstepmom.com. You'll find a lot of great resources there that can help you uh, in this area. Laura has written uh, several books. She uh, speaks and uh, writes on this topic uh, regularly. Her latest, Quiet Moments for the Stepmom's Soul. The book we're referencing is uh, 101 Tips for the Smart Stepmom, Expert Advice from One Stepmom to Another. She's also written... When I do uh, becomes I don't. Practical steps for healing during separation and divorce. And she co-authored with Ron Deal from Smart Step Family, the uh, Smart Step Mom. And she's our guest today. I want to just uh, remind you, we've got the phone lines open for your questions or concerns or comments. 877-933-2484. That's 877-93-FAITH. Or you can uh, submit a question online, myfaithradio.com, and then go to the Connecting Faith show page. Coming up, we'll talk a little bit about, all right, if uh, you and your husband aren't on the same page regarding parenting, or maybe the husband just seems to be, isn't stepping up. We'll talk about uh, what the stepmom does there, all that and more. Coming up in the moments ahead on Connecting Faith. As for me. that to serve the Lord in our households, but if our household is in a blended situation, that adds a level of complication. We've been talking about it today with Laura Petherbridge. Uh, Laura is an international speaker, author, a life coach, and she's written several books, including the 101 Tips for the Smart Stepmom, expert advice from one stepmom to another. She has lived that journey, grew up understanding it, or thought she understood it, and uh, has been a stepmom now for 30-plus uh, years. 
Uh, by the way, uh, Laura, one of our listeners, Glenn, said, you know, uh, does uh, the word step uh, family show up in the Bible? And, you know, should we be using other language? Because they're really our children, not stepchildren, right? Well, it, yes. Um, when I do view that when I married my husband, uh, you know, I married him and his children. You know, I made my vow and my commitment uh, to to the whole family. But I think we're getting a little picky uni if we just say that because that phrase isn't in scripture that there's no validity to it because it's very very normal that a step parent is going to love their own biological child in a different way than they do another woman's child to say that I'm going to love my neighbor's child the same way that I did my own child well if we say it that way that of course makes sense but why would we assume that just because we get married that automatically I'm going to fall in love with this child and not only fall in love with them, but love them in exactly the same way I do the the child that came out of my body? So when we're talking about biblical figures, first of all, the Old Testament is jam-packed with stepfamilies. As a matter I'm working on a resource right now regarding stepfamilies of the Bible. And uh, so we do see tons of examples of stepfamilies in Scripture. But I think, you know, if we dig into that, we would never view Sarah, Abraham's wife Sarah, as calling Ishmael her son. She hated uh, the mother, Hagar, and Ishmael. She hated them. Well, we see that very clearly in Scripture and loved her own child, Isaac. Now, does that mean we should hate that way? No, no, no. That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying it's unrealistic to tell people they are going to have the exact same affection for a stepchild as they do their own biological child. You do grow to love your stepkids over time. I had to work at loving my stepsons, and that probably sounds like a horrible Christian, but I'm just being honest. It was not something that instantaneously happened. I had to ask God, teach me. Teach me how to love this other woman's two sons that she had with my husband. See, that's not a natural, you know, it just doesn't flow naturally. That is something we often have to go to God and say, I've married this man with children. I've married this woman with children. Teach me how to love them in the same way that the parent does, in the same way that Christ does. And that's why sometimes loving your stepkids is is a greater love because it's a choice. See, when you have a child, you don't choose to love that kid. They, you love them because they breathe. Yeah. But with a stepchild, you're choosing to love them. You are choosing to overlook their flaws. And so it's a different thing. So I think putting – the reason I'm emphasizing this is that making step parents feel like they should love their stepkids instantaneously the same way they do their own kids is very unrealistic, it's unnatural, and it's placing a burden on them that is unnecessary. You know, of course, part of love is to uh, train and to discipline, and I'm sure that there are maybe tension points when it comes to different parenting styles or views between the you know dad and stepmom, uh, talk about if the husband is maybe not uh, stepping up, if you will, in that area. 
Well, that's very common. Single parents in particular struggle to discipline their children. Number one, they're exhausted. Number two, they feel guilty that the child is in a single parent home, especially if there's a divorce. Number three, the parent is often parenting out of guilt and shame and not a healthy place. So all of that doesn't go away just because the parent gets remarried. And so you bring this unhealthy parenting style now into a step family. And step parents often often see their child through the lens of responsibility, where the biological parent sees the child through the lens of love. And this is where you get some conflict because the step parent may think that the parent is not stepping up. And it's often true. Uh, So there has to be a balance. There has to be often a third party who's not emotionally attached to this, who can say to the parent, you're slacking as a parent. You're parenting out of guilt, and that's not good for the child. But they also need to be saying to the step-parent, you're being too harsh. If this was your own child, you'd be extending more grace. So it's usually some fault on, on both sides. Um, most experts, most professionals that work with step families will tell you that it is wise, in particular in the first couple of years, for the biological parent to be doing the parenting, the discipline, and the step parent to come alongside. If the step parent jumps in and becomes a bully, headstrong, you're going to now abide by the rules, it usually backfires. Well, I would think, as in any. Uh relationship or marriage relationship certainly the uh, the the quality the love the uh, depth of relationship between husband and wife is critical and that's probably just as critical here too in a step family isn't it? a blended family that that you need to really uh, stay connected with your spouse absolutely even more so even more than a first time marriage you have to be a united front and because that's what the kid is looking for divide and conquer <laughs> And so they will play on, in particular, their parents' emotions to try to get away with just anything. They're kids. Of course they're going to do that. And so this is why it's crucial for the parents to be united in their home. Now, again, I have to reiterate that means both sides have to be willing to hear where they may be either too soft or too harsh. And that usually requires a third party so that they can see it through clear eyes and not emotional eyes. You talk about, you know, kids will do kind of what kids do. What about when they're adult kids and you're in a blended family, maybe it's through, uh, you know, a loss of a widow, uh, remarrying. Uh, What are some challenges there and any advice? Boy, is that usually a shocker. Hmm. Most people are completely shocked at how much adult stepkids can fight or go against uh, having a new step-parent, a new stepmother, a new stepdad. This uh, usually is more prevalent when dad remarries because women tend to uh, be the calendar person in the family. They tend to be the ones that are directing traffic. And so she is going to naturally gravitate to her own family more than she is to her husband's family. And so if this stepmom doesn't honor that dad needs time with his own kid, she put, tries to pull that dad away from his own family, she's going to end up with stepkids that don't like her and, and view 
you know, her, her as taking dad away. On the other hand, if dad doesn't stand up to his wife and say, hey, you know what, um, we need to include my kids. We need to be embracing my kids. The most common thing I hear of adult stepkids is when my parent remarried, it felt like I felt like I lost them. I felt like I lost them to the other home. They no longer come and see their own grandkids. They've put their new spouse and that spouse's family ahead of their own, and I don't understand it. And so that is the thing to guard against with step adult stepkids. It always seems like a challenge, I guess, you know, as the stepmom, wouldn't you you'd want to be there sharing in the uh, the joy in the relationship of a dad and his kids, though, right? So, but you, you have you to would. let that go, I guess, right? But what if those kids don't like her? Yeah. You know, what if they think that she's going to get all the money? Let's go right for the jugular. Sure. <laughs> you know, what if they think, you know, my mom died, she had life insurance, my parents have money. What if he's going to leave all that money to his new wife? and not to his grandkids. And so, boy, does it get ugly there. And so, see, these kids may be resentful that he's got a new wife. And so everybody needs to talk about this before the remarriage. They need to get wise financial counsel, and they need to get wise remarriage counsel before, and and especially if there are adult kids or grandkids that are resentful that the parent is getting remarried. Now, if they're just little brats who aren't willing to, they don't really want mom or dad to be happy, and they just want all the money or whatever to themselves, well, then then you got to do some tough love. Yeah, it's just hypothetical, of course, because... That, no, of course, know, yeah, there would sure. not really be no. any Christian homes like that. <laughs> no. no, not at all. Uh, so, you know, talking it out is this something that this happens in a, uh, what, a, a pastor uh, gets the the family, the kind of blended family together for a conversation or a counselor? What what do you recommend? Or can the families kind of do this on their own without letting the emotion kind of rule the day? Well, I, I don't want to throw pastors under the uh-huh. bus. My husband's a pastor, so okay. I, I am not bad-mouthing pastors. But to be honest with you, pastors typically don't know a lot about stepfamilies. Their hearts are right, but they don't typically have a lot of knowledge on the practical issues that stepfamilies face. And so it's really best to get that kind of counsel from somebody who who specializes in the issues that come along in a step family, either by reading resources like the Smart Step Mom, the Smart Step Family, so you at least know what issues to bring to your financial planner. Um, you know, we have a great lawyer and financial planner who who understands step families, and so he helped us walk through all of that. So yes, getting professionals. If the if the kids are fighting and not getting along, come to somebody like me who is a life coach, who is a prof- you know, or get a professional therapist. Just make sure they specialize in step families that they understand that dynamic. Because if not, they're just going to give you cookie-cutter answers that work in first-time marriages and don't work in second marriages. You know, we just got about 30 seconds left. I'm wondering if you, uh, just by way of wrapping up, Laura can give just a word of grace to someone who is maybe struggling today and this was just the message they needed to hear. What, what would you tell them? Well, I want you to know that Jesus understands step families because he had a stepdad. 
And so he's lived it. He knows what it is to be rejected. He knows what it is to feel pain and agony and to feel not wanted, uh, to feel the complexities of families. He had stepbrothers. And so know that Jesus knows your pain. He understands what you're going through. And he has answers. He's not going to wave a magic wand and make it all go away, but he will give you the mind of Christ so that you know what to do, what not to do, what to speak, what not to speak. He won't leave you. Good word from Laura Petherbridge. Uh, check out her website, thesmartstepmom.com. Find out her books and resources, the uh, coaching available, all that. Laura, blessings to you. Thanks for your good word today. Thank you so much. I appreciate your heart for step families. Laura Petherbridge joining us today on Connecting Faith. There's more just ahead. You'll hear some good insights from Max Licato. God's Word tells us not to fear and not to be anxious, and that's the subject of Max Licato's new book just coming out here in September, Anxious for Nothing, Finding Calm in a Chaotic World. It's based on those verses in Philippians 4. We're giving away copies each day through the 15th, and I want to just give you an opportunity to hear a bit of Max Licato and encourage you to sign up for your free copy today at MyFaithRadio.com. You can say goodbye to anxiety. You can bid farewell to the frets. God wants to write a new chapter in your life that is marked by increasing peace and diminishing panic. Anxiety comes with life, but it doesn't have to run your life. The Bible has a prescription for inner peace, and this is it. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Let your gentleness be known to all men. The Lord is near. Be anxious for nothing. But in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, just let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds through Christ Jesus. Finally, brethren, whatever things are true, whatever things are noble, whatever things are just, whatever things are pure, whatever things are lovely, whatever things are of good report, if there is any virtue, if there is anything praiseworthy, meditate on these things. Chances are that you or someone you know has a serious struggle with anxiety. According to the National Institute of Mental Health, anxiety disorders are reaching an epidemic proportion. In a given year, 17% of Americans will feel the effects of a panic attack. That is to say, our chest will tighten, we'll feel dizzy and lightheaded, we'll fear crowds and avoid people. According to one research program, anxiety-related issues are now the number one mental health problem among women, are the second problem among men, second only to drug and alcohol abuse. The United States is now the most anxious nation in the world. Reading from one researcher, stress-related ailments cost our nation $300 billion every year in medical bills and lost productivity, while the use of sedative drugs keeps skyrocketing. 
Just between 1997 and 2004, Americans more than doubled their spending on anti-anxiety medications like Xanax and Valium from $900 million to $2.1 billion. The American Medical Association cited a study that expresses the exponential increase of depression. Our generation is three times more likely to suffer from depression as the generation prior. The generation prior, three times more likely than the one prior to that one. Why is this? Our cars are safer than ever. Our water has never been more regulated. Even the air we breathe is monitored. Gangs prowl our streets, but most of us go to sleep every night without the thought of being attacked. Yet to look at our emotional state, you'd think we were living in a battle zone. Curiously, citizens of less developed nations have far less levels of stress. Citizens in developing countries experience anxiety to the level of one-fifth that Americans do. And as one researcher said, when these less anxious developing world citizens immigrate to the United States, they tend to get just as anxious as Americans. Something about our particular way of life is making us less calm and composed. And the news gets worse. I don't want to worry you. But according to one UCLA research team, our college kids are more stressed out and anxious than ever before. In a study that involved more than 200,000 incoming freshmen, students reported all-time lows in overall mental health and stability. As Robert Leahy pointed out, the average high school kid today has the same anxiety level as the average psychiatric patient in the early 1950s. Kids have more toys, they have more tools, have more opportunities than ever, but they're leaving high school wrapped tighter than Egyptian mummies. Why? What's the cause of this anxiety? We all know some of the causes. Never has society changed so much. Sociologists are telling us that in the last 30 years, our world has seen more change than in the prior 300 hundred years. Can you relate to that? Think what has changed since you were born. We've seen astounding changes in the technological world. We've also seen remarkable eruption and disruption in moral values. Change coming from all angles. It's enough to make a person anxious. And it's enough to make us wonder, was the Apostle Paul kidding when he gave this anxiety challenge? He said, be anxious for nothing. I would have been happy with worry less or be anxious only on Thursdays. But this is a sweeping statement. He says, be anxious for nothing. And he uses that word anxious or worry. We've studied it before. It's a Greek word which means to divide the mind. Don't let your mind be all chopped up into pieces. 
Uh, don't be so caught up in yesterday and tomorrow that you can't live in the present, which always sounds great on a bumper sticker, but it's hard to apply in life. Right? I mean, you've got to be connected to the past because you're coming out of the past and the past affects the present. And you've got to be prepared for the future, don't you? So exactly what are you trying to say, Paul? Well, it helps us to know that the Greek tense here means perpetually anxious, in a state of perpetual anxiety. Anxiety does come with life. But what Paul is advocating here is a life that is not dominated or driven or consumed by anxiety. There is another translation that helps us. One translation says, don't be over-anxious about anything. It's this life of perpetual anxiety, this habit, this thought pattern of negative thoughts and anxious thoughts that the Apostle Paul would like to address. Another translation says, don't let anything in life leave you perpetually in angst and breathless. I made that one up. I'm not a Bible translator, but I think that's what the scripture is trying to say. Don't let anything in life leave you perpetually howly or out of breath, exhausted, or in angst, in a sense of dread. Worry in and of itself is not a sin, but it can lead to sin. Mistreatments thereof can cause us to engage in behavior that doesn't honor God and doesn't solve the problem. That's why Scripture, I think, has so much to say about anxiety. You have any anxiety in your life? Are you laughing less than you once did? You find your thoughts increasingly negative and critical. Would those who know you best describe you as overly cautious? Do you always assume something bad is going to happen? Do you never enjoy good news because you know all good news becomes bad news? For fear of running out of money, are you less generous? Do you resent the success of others? Would you on many days rather stay in bed than get up? Do you magnify the negative? Do you diminish the positive? If given the chance, would you avoid any interaction with human beings for the rest of your life? (laughs) If you answer yes to most of those questions, then I've got a friend I want you to meet. Actually, I've got some words that a friend wrote. They feel like words of a friend because I've turned to these words myself so many times over the years. I would like to nominate this passage for the Scripture Hall of Fame. I don't know where that place is, but on the wall upon which they have hung John 3.16, the Lord's Prayer, and the 23rd Psalm, someone needs to hang Philippians chapter 4, verses 4 through 8. I call it the anxiety cure. These words contain nothing less than God's remedy to anxiety. It's as if he wrote a prescription that included the words, here's what you need to rejoice. You need gentleness. You need to remember the Lord is at hand. You need to remember to pray about everything. The peace of God will come your way. It will guard your hearts and minds. God will help you win the war on worry. Some of you have worried so long in your life that you can't imagine life without worry. There is a new day that awaits you, my friend, a new day, a new chapter 
It is not God's will that you lead a life of perpetual anxiety. It is not. It is not his will that you face every day with dread and trepidation. It's not his will that you go through life always running out of breath with your mind split between yesterday and tomorrow, not leaving you any energy for today. No, God never promises a problem-free life, but he does promise to help us face our problems. This is the message of the book of Philippians. Specifically, it's the message of this cure for anxiety in Philippians chapter 4. Paul uses four verses to give seven admonitions that lead to one promise, the peace of God, which passes all understanding. Anxiety comes with life, but it doesn't have to master your life. And a new day awaits you because God is with you. I really appreciate that. Uh, Ted, don't you just feel like you want to read the book now? Big amen to that. Yeah, Yeah, definitely. We need it. Uh, His new book, uh, Max Lucado's new book, Anxious for Nothing, Finding Calm in a Chaotic World. Uh, Thomas Nelson sent us uh, some that we can give away. In fact, before actually it they're not getting back from the printers here for another week or right. so but you can sign up we're giving them away a drawing through the 15th giving away three a day uh, so sign up at myfaithradio.com for your copy today it's myfaithradio.com <laughs>